The following is a sermon from Pastor Timothy Borman and Sure Foundation, a church located in Woodside, Queens, New York, the world's most diverse community. For more information and for more audio content, go to sure-foundation.org. I need you to hold on today for dear life. The Apostle Paul is going to come at us heavy in Romans chapter 7 as we continue our sermon series here on the book of Romans. I've always thought that this is a little bit of a tongue twister and also a little bit of a brain twister, so I just ask you to hold on for dear life. We're going to bring this to your hearts, not just in an intellectual way, but in an emotional way that we can learn to cry out in our condition of wretchedness, but also in the middle of that, to let our hearts well up with thanksgiving. I'll read for you Romans chapter 7. You'll find that. You can follow along in your bulletins there. We'll read verses 15 to 25. Here's what he writes. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do. But the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God, who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is God's Word. So, I started watching this TV show. It's called This Is Us. You watch the show, This Is Us? I started watching it, for those of you who've seen this show, True story, on my 36th birthday, I thought to myself, it was, it was that time of night, you know, the house was kind of quiet still, and the kids were tucked into bed, and Hulu, you know, Hulu likes to give me free work weeks, so it was on there, and I thought, people are watching this thing, it's, it's an amazingly popular show in an era when Media is so fragmented across streaming services and cable, stuff like that. And it's capturing people's attention. And like a good pastor, I thought, you know, i got to know the Bible, but I also need to know the culture that I'm living in. So I started to watch 
the show, and it became apparent very quickly in this show called This Is Us that it wasn't just me celebrating my 36th birthday. It was also Kate. It was also Jack. And it was also Randall. And right there in that moment, I was hooked. I was absolutely hooked on the show, but you know what really did it for me? It wasn't actually the fact that this weird divine coincidence happened that I started to watch This Is Us on my 36th birthday, a show all about 36-year-old people. You know what really hooked me into this show? Kate. Kate's this overweight woman, and we meet her in the show. She's opening up the refrigerator door, and she's got post-it notes all over the food. And plug your ears if you don't like bad words, but one of the post-it notes said, Kate, this is crap. Throw it out. And then she looked at one of the other post-it notes, and it was a birthday cake, her own birthday cake. Who does that? Buys a birthday cake for themselves, but Kate did it, and said, Kate, don't eat this until your birthday. Love, Kate. And then you see Kate slamming the refrigerator door shut. And she strips down almost to nothing and she gets ready to step on the scale. And she takes off even her earrings and lovingly sets them aside. That's what did it for me. You look at Kate and you see the struggle. And I thought, not just this is us, I thought, this is me. Me too, the Apostle Paul says today. He says, he says me too. And it's just an amazingly, really intimate conversation that the Apostle Paul has with himself just out loud. And it's only here, only here is the Apostle Paul in all of his writings so personal. Only here does he sort of open up to the real world and transparently let us see what he's really like. I mean, this is his testimony. This is his personal testimony. Only here, in all of his writings in the Bible, does he, is he willing to show us his personal, I want you to really listen to this, his personal discipleship failure. And you know what he sounds like? What does he sound like to you? You know what he sounds like to me? An addict. He doesn't get, you know, into the, all the concrete and, and gory details on this thing. He's not going to tell us what exactly he's addicted to. But he sounds like an addict, an addict to sin. Because this is what he's saying. He's saying, I have this desire, this deep desire to do the right thing, and I can't do it do what I hate. 
I want to do what is good in God's eyes, but you know what I actually do? I do what's evil. Deep down inside in my inner being, he says, I absolutely love God's law. I want to do it. But I'm also a slave to the sin that dwells in me. You know, it's so shocking to a lot of Christian groups that they actually won't even say, they won't admit, this must be the unconverted Apostle Paul. This is what they say. This cannot possibly be his present spiritual condition. But it is. This is who he says he is. It's his very identity. In a very shocking, surprising way, he says, this is me. And it's genius. To me, what he does here is absolutely genius. He doesn't say, this is me, and he admits all of his, in the, all the intimate and concrete details. He doesn't fill in the blanks for us, you might say. And that's the genius part. Do you see what he's doing by, not, by leaving it so abstract? He's inviting you. He's inviting each one of you to enter into his story. He's inviting each one of you to put yourself into his shoes and say, this is me. This is my struggle. This is my failure. He's inviting you to put up your hand and say, this is what I am like. But I don't think I need to tell you that this morning. I think you already know that. I think you're already probably thinking to yourself, you know, that is me. This is me. I'll tell you what I'm like. I always have the best intentions when I start the day. In fact, sometimes I think to myself, you know, I'm going to give it a, the old college try the night before, and I'm going to get up early because I really want to spend some time with God. Set my alarm, and then it goes off in the morning, and I shut it off. Go back to sleep. And then, when I actually do get up, the day overtakes me, and right away, I begin the day frustrated, I make my commute, and I have the best intentions, right, to go out there and share joy and love with the world, but instead, I share the frustration that's already brewing up in my heart. And then I get to work, and it's like I'm overwhelmed. I know all the things I'm supposed to be doing and all the people that are depending on me. And then suddenly it's like 2 p.m., and I think to myself, you know, I probably should have exercised today. And somewhere in there, I should have had lunch. When I get home, the kids are jumping all over me, but I'm not really there. And it's like I'm batting away flies. Because I'm thinking to myself, i got to make it to a, a meeting in about an hour. And by the end of the day, at the end of the day, I'm thinking, I had the best intentions. But... I didn't do them 
and I hate it. What a wretched man I am. That's what the Apostle Paul says. I imagine him like sitting at his desk writing this, and he's, he's writing down his personal discipleship failures, and he's thinking to himself, wow, this is worse than I thought. The gap between what I want to be and the gap of who I actually am. And the only thing that he can do, it's like this explosion of emotion that comes right up, gushing out of his heart, and he writes it down on the page, and he said, I'm so wretched. This condition of sin that I live in. And he sighs to himself. A deep sigh. I want you to think about that during your week, this coming week. Because I think we can run right past the fact that we're in this wretched condition. And I want you to mark it this next week. By thinking to yourself, when do I sigh? Because a sigh, it's a personal confession of your wretchedness. A lot of people think that a sigh comes because they're sad. That's not what psychologists say. We sigh most often because of this gap that we feel in our lives between who we want to be and who we actually are, between what we want to do and what we actually do. And when you feel that, it's not just in your soul, but it actually wells up inside of you and you go, that's my wretchedness again. And you feel it. The Apostle Paul asked a question that goes hand in hand with our size. This is what he says. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? That's a good question, don't you think? Who will rescue us? I suppose it needs to be someone who can give new life. That should be his first qualification, right? I I suppose it should be someone who can make us new again. I suppose that the second qualification should be somebody who actually cares. Right? Somebody who's going to look at us and say, wow, I want to help them. Somebody whose love is is so deep and so wide and so long that they would look at the wretchedness, they would look at the sign and say, I want to do something about that. Somebody who is so powerful that they can do something and somebody who is so loving that they want to do something about that. Now, who would that be? The Apostle Paul didn't need to think about it that much, right? 
I mean, his mind goes to one place and one place alone. And so he cries out almost immediately, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So here we have this wretchedness. This guy who is full of sighing. And he looks to Jesus for rescue. Because here's what he knows about Jesus. By his powerful word, he created life in the first place. But not just that. He entered into our world, and when he died, he picked up his life again. And so it was logical to the Apostle Paul, if I need new life, if I need to be made new again, there's one place to go. Jesus Christ, our Lord. But he didn't even stop there. He, he knew that Jesus Christ, our Lord, isn't just powerful, but that he would want to do something about it. Because Jesus has demonstrated beyond a doubt how deep and wide his, long, his love really is when he went all the way, all the way to death for each one of you. You might think, too, that you're left out of this rescue plan. But I want you to just notice one thing about this lesson. And the Apostle Paul here is absolutely brilliant. Nowhere in all of the scriptures is the Apostle Paul so personal. We've said this already. He uses personal pronouns like I, I, me, me, I, I, over and over and over again. Except for once in this lesson. And it makes the whole difference if you're paying attention. You know what he should have said? He should have written this. He was going to be consistent in his first person narrative. He should have said, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, my Lord. That's not what he says. He actually suddenly brilliantly, abruptly, breaks his pattern. And so what he writes is this, Thanks be to God, who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He's your Lord, you know that, right? Our Lord. You are not left out of this rescue. By God's grace, in Jesus' name, your struggle, your discipleship failure, your wretchedness ends in victory. And that's why right in the middle of this, the Apostle Paul can actually give thanks because he is so sure, he is sure, so sure that this will end in personal victory in Jesus' name. And so he says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, 
our Lord. I've got to tell you. I've got to tell you something very important today. And this is something that only Lutherans actually get. This is us. You know that, right? This is us. We are saints in Jesus' name, but at the same time, we are deeply flawed. We are simul justus et peccator. That's what Lutherans say. At the same time, we are absolutely holy in Jesus' name, but at the same time, we are also deeply, deeply flawed. So this is what we're like. This is us. We are people who want to eat right. Sometimes we don't. We are moms and dads that want to be good moms and dads. Sometimes we're not. We are employees and employers who want to do everything for the people around us. But sometimes we don't. We are members of a church that we love, want to be generous with our time and talents, and sometimes we're not. This is us. This is us. You know what the Apostle Paul says about that condition? Thanks be to God. Amen.